so I'm hyperventilating a little bit. If I fall over, pick me up because I've got some things to say. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Dinosaurs eat men. Woman inherits the earth. Safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. <laughs> well, put some skates on. Be your own hero. Things in the air, Kristen. Yeah. Lord, please give it up for the dazzling vocal stylings of Miss Skimmerler. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode, I believe this is 81, because we did skip an episode, so is this still 81? I think this is 82, 82? It says it right there, and I still thought it was wrong. <laughs> This is episode 82 of Citizen Dame, uh, the podcast where we talk about men who are terrible, but we also talk about a lot of movies we like, which is happening this episode. Yeah. Yay. I am Kristen Lopez here with a very tired Karen Peterson. Hello. And a very peppy Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. I've had several cups of coffee. <laughs> I'm totally awake. Um, I've had no coffee, but I also went to bed at 10 o'clock, so I'm just kind of, like, neutral right now. Oh, things were just getting started for us at 10 o'clock last night. Karen, stop telling us about how awesome your life is. <laughs> God. You give some Karen people... Karen out partying. It was. Yeah. And you give the... some people complexes. <laughs> well, the funniest part, the coolest part about it was they kept insisting, like, you are a guest here. If you're gonna write about this, let us know. I was like, wait. You just invited us to have fun? This is awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> Who knows what Karen saw? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I can't, I can't complain. I got to hang out with good-looking Irishmen last weekend, so there was, like, that. I mean, that was cool. So, ha! <laughs> Give me something fun about my life. <laughs> I watched old white people swing dance last night. Ooh, that, was, that was interesting. That sounds fun. <laughs> in Lincoln Center, so that was enjoyable. Uh, was it like a 1950s sock hop where everybody was like dressed in their poodle skirts and their... I kind of wish, actually, it was, it, it's, Lincoln Center does this outdoor like swing concerts on the weekends during the summertime, so... It was it was a great band and everything, but it was like me and my friends, and we were definitely the youngest people there, and then a lot of old white people. Um, but it it was fun to witness. I was gonna say it was either like that or you know they shoot horses, don't they? <laughs> being the youngest person at anything just sounds completely normal. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, all your crushes are dead because they're old, so. <laughs> crushes I... who are dead okay well, so do i, I have... but all of those have... are i have many living crushes okay. sometimes they come and go. they come and go i've got a thing for david Tennant now for some reason it's very disturbing oh, it's not for some reason it's for very good reason so he's not dead you're right he is not he's just immortal <laughs> david Tennant is immortal oh my gosh it's magic um, welcome to the club lauren welcome oh god. Nice here. god it's definitely the snake eyes that's definitely <laughs> so lauren has a thing for demons well many would say lauren is demonic in her own way so. i think some have said that many men on twitter have said that 
that same thing. But hey, yeah. ladies, do you know what's also demonic and immortal? Or what's in the back contest, yes. which we are still running <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, it's called a segue. You can you can take that to the bank. Uh, we are giving away a bag full of goodies. Is it David Tennant? Maybe. I, I could have put anything in there. You don't even know what I put in there. Um, so all you have to do is we will be reposting the original post. Just respond to it or retweet it with your best guess. What's in the bag? Is it Lauren's soul? Is it Karen's? <laughs> Is it a ticket to be Karen's plus one when she doesn't ever call me and invite me to things? Is it? Okay, to be fair, they didn't tell me I got a plus one until I got there. <laughs> is it, is in the bag my very dignity? I don't know, okay? But give us your best guess and you might be able to win what's in the bag. Uh, so yeah, that's on there as well. Um, and of course, we always have our Patreon, patreon.com slash citizendame which has all sorts of car critiques and fun goodies. And if you join, you can get special pins, uh, all of that. So that gets all the shameless plugging to give us money out of the way. So <laughs> moving on to, oh, I also forgot there was a trailer on this week that I wanted to talk about because I'm me. So I'll find time to throw that in there at some point, which I'm sure nobody saw because I didn't tell anybody we want, I wanted to talk about it. So. <laughs> you have the next 30 seconds to watch the new Charlie's Angels trailer. Um, so, oh, yeah, yeah, moving uh, on. <laughs> I will talk about Okay, fine, but I'm going to talk about it really, really quickly because I'm the only one who saw it. So, um, there's a new Charlie's Angels coming out with Elizabeth Banks. There directing, is. Directing, and she wrote it. And they had a trailer out for it the other day. They just kind of, like... Anytime you drop a trailer on a Friday is not really a great move. Um, but I watched it. It's a bad trailer. Like, it's not a very good trailer. But I feel like they just watched the first one and then kind of stole the plot. But also said, what if Sam Rockwell's character wasn't evil but also part of the team? Uh, and, I mean, there's a lot of, like, great moments. Like, I'm ready to see Chris and Stewart kick some ass and... Naomi Scott, I want to see in a better movie. So, I mean, I'm gonna go. As the resident person who both thumbs their nose at the Charlie's Angels movies, yet has watched both of them, I'm not going to admit how many times I've watched both of them, but it's not less than once. Um, so, I, I feel like I need to do my due diligence and go see it when it comes out. I don't even remember when it comes out, but it's a thing that exists, so... Yeah, yeah. I none of these two care. Um, so I'm, I've got the trailer on without the sound right now, and yeah, I'm just not into this. <laughs> that sounds like the best way. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of men who are watching that trailer without the sound, but for a totally different reason. Um, Elizabeth Banks so plays not Bosley. A fan of Kristen Stewart, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Really, I want to see Kristen Stewart. I mean, I know she's doing some good acting work. But I'm ready to see her in a movie where she's just kind of light. I feel like everything that I see her in is so dour. I want to see yeah. her in she something. She always makes the same face. Stop, people. <laughs> stop trying to tell me otherwise. She always makes the same face. I'm like Mugatu I think that's just her face. Right now. But it's <laughs> like, that just might actually be her face. I know. Yeah. <laughs> she never emotes. And it drives me crazy. Well, I think that that's true. Sometimes that works, though. Sometimes 
that exact thing that she has works. There are a lot of people that are like that. But the problem is when people say, oh, and she's really great in this movie. And she's really because they were exactly the same. Like, she didn't do anything different in that one that she did over there in that. You know? It's, just, oh. it's, it's like, looking, <laughs> it's like looking at that picture of what's his face in 10 Things I Hate About You where the only difference is he's just wearing a different shirt. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, they're making another Charlie's Angels. I... I feel like the sad thing is, is I'm going to see this new one and it's going to be like written directed by women. And I'm going to be like, I felt that Mick G had a better grasp on these movies before. I feel like I'm going to totally betray my, my gender. Uh, if I don't, if I don't love this compared to the originals, um, or even, I haven't actually watched a television show, so I'm going purely off the movies, but this is my reminder that I have a very love-hate relationship with McGee and the Charlie's Angels films. So, moving on. Uh, <laughs> moving on to Max Landis. Yeah, yes. person who is not associated with the Charlie's Angels films, and thank God. Uh, so, guys, did you know that Max Landis is a disgusting human being who deserves to be castrated? I'm curious who didn't know that. A yeah. lot of people, Karen, <laughs> on Twitter who have penises, okay, <laughs> who feel that Max Landis deserves a fair trial, goddammit, before he is persecuted by women uh, like us. Yeah, the, the social media mob, right? You know, yeah. Like I, I really do, like, I wish I was a lawyer or something, because I'm just like, I'm pretty positive that that's not what the point of a fair trial is. It's not about, like, not condemning people for their bad behavior it's a legal thing about getting a fair trial that's the, these are different things guys well and innocent until proven guilty that is a legal thing too we don't have to treat people like they didn't do something just because they haven't been convicted by a jury or a judge yeah that doesn't that's not what that means that means that legally they can't be held accountable for what they did i love the men that are coming to his defense which first of all out of all the men you want to, you know, the hill you want to die on, it's Max Landis. Max Landis, that's the guy. It's the guy you want. I feel like Max Landis represents them to them. Like, you know, like just this unattractive looking dude that looks like he probably hangs out in front of a CVS because he has no job. Um, I feel like he represents them. Am I being too harsh to, to men? <laughs> The thing that I don't get about Max Landis, I mean, the reason he's successful is because of who his daddy is, but it's like, he's not just not a, he's not just like not a conventionally attractive person. He's also just not even normal looking. He looks weird. He's like, <laughs> he is, he is intentionally unattractive. It's so strange. You know, like when Voldemort was like <laughs> forming but, like, in between forming, um, that's what Max Landis looks Someone's like Someone's he looks like me. a zit in the middle of being popped. I can see that, too. I thought he looked familiar. God. Okay, so, um, joking aside, uh, eight women have come forward uh, to accuse him of all manner of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse over the last decade. This is after... Yes, it was announced that the Hollywood Reporter had backed off of the story on him. Um, the article's on the Daily Beast. It's, you know, heartbreakingly written by Amy Zimmerman. Please go read the whole thing. It's long, but it's it's definitely but it's necessary to read. Yeah. And I feel like we've talked about Max Landis so many times throughout the life of this show. And yet 
nothing happens. Like, Max Landis has just kind of gone underground, much where I feel like he lives. Um, so we haven't really heard from him, but there are so many people who are really just saying that, like, well, you know, I support women, but we should be, you know, looking at both sides. Like, no, both sides are, there are eight women that are willing to come forward. That's on top of the numerous other women that have also reported things about him, uh, just in terms of interacting with him. And I know many people in, in our industry that have interacted with him and had very negative experiences. So at what point, I, I think we said this when we first started, what's the number? You know, what's the line that makes you say, okay, well, now enough is enough? What always horrifies me about this stuff is that I, I think Emma Thompson ages ago said, you know, it really should take only one. Yeah. It should only take one woman to, and, and it's usually women, you know, you sometimes, you you know, you do get men abusing men, you do get women abusing men. Um but it should only take one person to come forward and say, I was raped, I was assaulted, I was abused, to be believed. It shouldn't take eight people. It, it, you know, it shouldn't be like, well, we're going to wait and see. And that was one of the things that I kept on seeing repeated is that, well, if it was just one person, I would doubt it. But because it's eight people, uh, yeah, it probably happened. And it's like, really? Like, you know, it only, t- it, it, you have to have a threshold. You have to be like, well, if he only abuses one woman, it's not that bad. But if he abuses eight, that's just a little extreme. Like that, there's something so shocking about it, and and this this tendency to still after after so many years now of talking about this, we've been talking about this for years. For it still to be like, well, maybe maybe they're lying. Well, maybe that's not the whole story. Well, maybe it, it's like, no, that's not how this works. Statistically, that's not how this works. And I, I don't, like, I, I even said this online. At what point do you, do men begin considering women people? Because that's essentially what's going on here. It's just like your experience and your emotions and your... Uh, you know, your body is secondary to me, is secondary to my belief. And that's that's shocking and it's painful. It's painful as a, as a woman to have to hear that and, to be, and then to have these men trying to justify it and be like, no, 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 I'm being reasonable. It's like, no, you're not. You're not being reasonable. You're being the most unreasonable person. It's obvious that you have not been paying attention for at least three years I, yeah, it's it's tiring. And on top of that, there were tweets released from an anonymous source detailing additional interactions with Max Landis while she was under, uh, well, wasn't underage, but it was grooming her. She was still in uh, high school. She was still in she high school. She was 18 and a senior. Yes. Um, so I love how eventually we always go back to not only are these men garbage who are hurting women, but they're also trolling the high school. It is without fail. Almost every person that we've talked about, eventually something pops out where they're just like, oh, and by the way, they're like dating high schoolers. So good job, dude. This is your regular episode reminder that Max Landis is only famous because of who his dad is, who also murdered three people, Um, which I mean, he went to trial and he was acquitted but I'm still gonna say he's a fucking murderer. 
I wish I could put that on a pin, but I, I feel like I would get sued. I would love to put on a Citizen Game pin. This is your reminder, John Landis is a murderer. <laughs> <sighs> I don't want to talk about Max Landis anymore. Are we in agreement? Yep. Yep. Moving yeah, on. He needs to go away. Moving on to, I think, something that might be happier-ish. Um, so it came out, if, in case you forgot, which I would love to forget, Millennium Films initially announced a couple months back that they were developing a Red Sonia film directed by Brian Singer. Even though we were all like, why? Millennium was hell-bent on making this movie with him. But after a huge outcry, they decided, mm, maybe this isn't a good idea. Well, and the thing about them announcing that he was going to do it was it came after yes. everything that we know about him was already out there. After he had been fired from Bohemian Rhapsody for all the shit he pulled on that set, they still were like, yep, Brian Singer is our guy. And they held on for a long time. Yeah, they did. I mean, they held on. And, and this is also Millennium, in case you uh, forgot, is the studio uh, held by Avi Lerner, who has also been accused of sexual harassment of his female employees. So you gotta love how these guys stick together and protect their own. Uh, but thankfully, the movie is moving forward with a different creator. Jill Solway, who is the creator of Transparent, is going to both write and direct the film. Supposedly, it has gone completely back to the drawing board to be revised from scratch. And that's where we're at right now. My thing is, though, wouldn't this have been great to do, like, six months ago? I mean, it's great that she got the job, but now it's going to come after being, you know, now she's the follow-up to Brian Singer because, you know, I, I feel like somebody's going to complain. Some dude on the internet is going to be like, oh, you know, we'll never know what, what amazing take Brian Singer Release had. the Brian Singer cut. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, she's always going to feel like, you know, the person that usurped Brian Singer to this group of idiots. Um, and I feel like that's a really shitty position to put her in. Um, at the same time, we've all been saying, Red Sonia especially, I don't know the comic books, um, but I, I know of the character, and everybody was saying, like, no, women should be writing and directing this. Yeah, and the thing is that anybody who has a problem with that and really, really wants Brian Singer to do it needs to go back and, and examine the fact that he hasn't made a good movie in years, and even his good movies are, eh, okay. Um at best and I, I I agree with you Kristen my big problem with this is that it took way too long yeah for them to come to the conclusion that a woman was the right person to to do this they never should have cat or should have hired Brian Singer in the first place they never should have hired a man for this project in the first place regardless of what he does when he's not uh, showing up to set but um, but they finally did make the right move before production ever actually started. So I am really happy for Jill Soloway and any dudes on the internet who are going to go and complain that it's her and not him, they can just go fuck themselves. Cause that's, you know, that's just too damn bad. 
I do almost think that we need to like start celebrating it when when dude bros get pissed off about something because it seems like that that means that we're doing something right. Yeah. So you know, like oh oh no, they hired a woman to direct blahs. Just like yay, the dude bros are upset. Like the more if you piss off a certain type of guy, it's like okay, this must be this must mean that they're doing something right because. Because that's the only time that these guys get mad about it. So, you know, just kind of double down on that. It's just like, yeah, the dude bros hate us. Yeah, turn it back on them. You're absolutely right. Because they do that whenever we're pissed off about something. They celebrate it. So, yeah, let's turn it back on them and, and give it to them right back. And, and I think, yeah, I think this is, we didn't, we didn't celebrate enough that Jill Soloway has gotten this job. We didn't celebrate enough that Emma Thompson walked away from Skydance, you know? Yeah. We, we need to make a bigger deal about these things. I absolutely agree. Well, I have to call out Mike Fleming, who wrote the article announcing this on Deadline, because he emphasizes that Jill Soloway is untested when it comes to big action <laughs> event movies. And I, always, I, just, I just throw out, like, a fuck you, because... How many times on this podcast have we documented white male directors failing upward? You know, as much as I love The Greatest Showman, never forget that <laughs> Michael Gracie started out as a VFX guy who got handed a hundred million dollars. I don't even know how much the budget on that is. Movie musical of P.T. Barnum. Okay, never forget that Colin Trevorrow started out making little piddly indie films and got handed a Jurassic Park movie. Um, so I think the fact that Jill Solway made her bones on a Amazon television series that got huge critical acclaim and got Amazon, you know, attention, that, that more than proves her credibility. Well, that's the thing. It drives, I'm so tired of people discredit. Well, Patty Jenkins dealt with that yeah. too. When yeah. she was hired for Wonder Woman, people are like, she's only made one movie and it was 15 years ago. It was monster and it wasn't even that good. Well, did they say oh, the same okay. thing about Michelle McLaren? They were like, oh, she just is Game of Thrones. Like, right. like it's that's like, easy oh, to direct. Are we just going to dismiss the fact that television is fucking good in the 21st century and that <laughs> mostly that's because of women? Because all they can do right for the last 15 20 years is get jobs in television because nobody will let them make movies talk about let's talk about Mimi Leader. she went and did the leftovers which was amazing because she couldn't get a movie made because pay it forward like didn't succeed as much as they wanted it to so yeah television's been amazing because it's been mostly women that have been doing such good work and now they're going back to the movies and the boys are like oh that experience doesn't count <laughs> Sorry, I'm really pissed about this. <laughs> I love when Karen puts on her dude bro voice. <laughs> so great. <laughs> and moving on to other things that we should be celebrating. One Day at a Time was saved. Woohoo! I'm going to start watching this show now. Karen, you're part of the problem. <laughs> I uh, am part of the problem. I fully acknowledge it. I've talked to so many people who, are, who, are, who say exactly that. It's just like, oh, apparently one day at a time was saved. I should probably watch it. It's like, you know, this is the issue. This is why we had to fight. Karen, I watch it. I That's watch it. Like, pretty me. Amazing. And I you don't watch don't, television. I don't watch anything, okay? I'm watching, like, this and Big Little Lies. That's it. <laughs> That's all I so... want. Big, 
Big Rand- little lies of only watching out of like prurient interest. So random side note. So one time I worked in this office that was across the street from this donut place. It was like donuts and sandwiches. And we used to go there a lot for lunch. And also every once in a while we'd go do donut runs and stuff. Well, one morning a couple of my coworkers left to go grab donuts and they came back a few minutes later and they all looked really sad. And we're like, what's wrong? And they're like, it's shut down. And we're like, what? And they said, yeah, there's a sign on the door that says, I guess we could have used more customers like you when we were open. <laughs> and I think about that every time a TV show gets canceled. I'm like, oh, they could have used more viewers like me. <laughs> Yeah. In case you didn't know, One Day at a Time, it's a Netflix series. It's a remake of a 70s show, um, but they remade it with a predominantly Latinx cast, and it's been breaking all sorts of ground in, in discussions about immigration and gender and sexuality, and it's a great show, and it's got Rita Moreno dancing, which, how can you not, you know, want to see that? Uh, but Netflix decided to cancel it. Uh, because people weren't watching it, even though Netflix doesn't release numbers. So all we have is their word that people weren't watching it, but apparently people were watching fucking Bright, uh, and they needed to, like, green light sequels to that. Um, but go figure. So, uh, one day at a time, I've been trying to get a network to save it, but there were stipulations in their contract that they couldn't go from a streaming service to another streaming service, which CBS All Access really wanted them. Um, So they needed a network or bust because Netflix sucks. I know you were just partying with them, Karen, but I'm going to say it. So, (laughs) Um, but thankfully, Pop TV decided to uh, save them and give them another uh, season. If you don't know what Pop TV is, it's owned by CBS. They are commonly known as the home of Shits Creek. Woohoo! Yeah. And this is definitely making them look like the best network on television for coming forward to save the show. Well, if you look at their lineup, they really are one of the best networks for diversity and inclusion. And so it actually makes sense that they'd be the ones that would that would save one day at a time. It is a bit disappointing that CBS didn't just decide to put it on CBS, considering how white their network is. Like, this would have given them some nice infusion of color. And Magnum P.I. don't count because they don't got Latinos right in that show. So, (laughs) uh, but it's going to be back. Uh, The first three seasons will stay on Netflix, but it will be branded a pop original in 2020 when it comes back. Um, and Justina Machado, who's the star, is already announced to direct an episode. I'm so excited. I'm so yeah. glad that it's it's been saved. Um, but it it pro- and it's making waves for being the first Netflix streaming series to transition to network television, which yes. I would love yeah. to see happen more. Um, because I feel like right now the the streaming companies, particularly Netflix, have a lot of people over a barrel. You know, um, so I'd love to see more networks decide to maybe try something and save a show that maybe Netflix doesn't or Amazon doesn't want. I'm not talking about anything specific, but if you've seen my tweets recently, <laughs> there's a show I wish a network had picked up at some point. Thank you, Amazon. Um, but I'm very excited. I'm so happy that it's going to be back. Well, and this, to- yeah, I mean, it's a big deal that Netflix has actually allowed this to happen because a lot of people really, myself included, really didn't think that they would. Uh, partly because if this is successful on pop, 
then it makes everyone question, okay, how successful was it really on Netflix, first of all? And second of all, is there something that Netflix is doing wrong? And because I know one of the problems, one of the criticisms of Netflix is that so much of their stuff gets buried. It doesn't get recommended to people. It's hard to find stuff, you know. And uh, so I think that this could potentially open up some some eyes and answer some questions or at least make us look more deeply at what's really going on with Netflix's series and with their model. Sorry. Day at a Time is, was kind of a weird show for Netflix because it is a sitcom um, and it's very episodic. So you, there are through lines, but really, you know, it's not, it's not a terribly bingeable show. Uh, it's not one of those shows that demands you sit down and watch, you know, six, seven, eight episodes in a row. Um, so it was always kind of odd to have it on Netflix. And they they have a few shows like that, but not very many. Most of their shows are like more closer to limited series or um, shows that definitely like a full season has a single arc instead of like single episodes. Um, and so it's it's interesting I don't know. It's interesting just in terms of a historical perspective, the way that these things are kind of ebbing and flowing. Because on the one hand, streaming has kind of reinvigorated sitcom formats because it's giving space for shows like this. But then those sitcom formats are not really uh, structured for streaming because streaming is, is tends to be bingeable. Um, so you've got this kind of weird dichotomy going on right now. Uh, and, and it will be interesting to see how it fares on pop TV and how people react to it. Cause also pop TV, I think it's, um, Netflix has a deal to air Shit's Creek. So there's a lot of back and forth between the two of them. It's back. Yay. Yay. So pop TV looks like the heroes. Netflix doesn't know what they had and yeah. Well, but I also think maybe they do know what they had. This is the thing. It's unfortunate that Netflix is so strict about not releasing numbers because this is the first series they've canceled that they've actually let go somewhere else. And I'm wondering if it's because they know that their viewers, just are, their subscribers, just aren't clinging to the show, but it is something special, and that's why they've allowed this deal to go through. Well, the, pro- the thing is, though, Netflix didn't have anything to do with allowing it. They couldn't let it go to a streaming service. That was in the Netflix contract. But the right. rights are still owned by Sony, so Sony could pitch it. The, the creators could still take it to a, another place, but it had to be a network. That's the di- uh, okay. the thing. So so Netflix didn't really allow anything. If okay. anything, they just got they lost out on something because the stipulations in their contract, they found the loophole. They got what they, you know, they needed to continue it. So I mean it forces Netflix to put out numbers. There's yeah. I don't understand why yeah. they don't. There are plenty of ways to gauge you know, uh, I've been told by by someone who who knows net, you know Netflix people, and they're like, if you look at the whole trending section, that's the numbers. You know, what's popular, what's trending, those are the those are proving the numbers. You know, that what's on there has high viewership, so there is a way to gauge it. They're just not releasing the numbers. Oh yeah, they know exactly how many people are watching. I mean, there's there's rumors and gossip out in the ether about why Netflix doesn't do that, um, you know, and I don't necessarily know if any of that's true. Um, but either way, I'm so glad that one day at a time found uh, found a, a home and Pop TV again looks like the saviors. You know, they 
are able to come out and, you know, they had people that loved Schitt's Creek and they've always been talked about, but now, now they have this big Netflix series, former Netflix series, and they look like the heroes for diversity and inclusion. And it works out for them, which is great. I mean, yes, it's marketing, but it's good marketing for once. Well, and it also, Schitt's Creek is ending next year, so they need right. something that's going to draw people in after that's not there anymore. Yeah. Santa Clarita Diet doesn't have a home. I don't watch that, but my mom is still very upset about it. I don't even, I think though that, I think that might be owned by Netflix. I don't know. I it, It's weird how the um, companies work, um, but I'm just saying. My mom would like to put that out in the ether. Uh, Pop TV needs another show from Netflix. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, it is so funny because I had talked to a showrunner on a network show. Um, their show had been canceled and they had gone to Netflix back in the day when they were first creating television shows. And Netflix had told this person, we don't take, we're not the island of misfit toys. We don't take cast off network shows that nobody wants. And I was just kind of like, <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Um, so moving on. We're going to talk about Lauren's most anticipated movie of 2020, the Ghostbusters sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I did not hear about this. So Paul Rudd's going to be in this movie now? Oh, you didn't uh, see that video on Twitter? I don't watch every video, unless it's got Army Hammer or someone I love in it. I don't actually watch those videos on Twitter. Unless they have kitties and puppies, I'll watch those videos. <laughs> Well, this this one that one actually initially popped up, I think, in uh, a Ghostbusters fan account originally, and uh, th that's where I saw it. But yeah, it was I think the Paul Rudd posted it, and yeah, ba and so basically it's like it's an actual street shot of the um, the hook and the uh, hook and ladder company down um, where the original the exterior was filmed, and it's still like been the facade has been preserved and everything and they're like Ghostbusters symbols uh, on the sidewalk and stuff like that. And then he comes into frame and basically says that, you know, they had a part for a, a man and he took the role and he said something about who, uh, you know, who you're going to call and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I, I will say right now, I am probably the one of the few women in the world who does not think Paul Rudd is the most charming thing on the planet. Um, I'm right there with you, so there are two <laughs> women in the world. Good, good, because, like, every time I see him, I'm just like, you feel like that guy who's like, oh, I'm so charming and sweet and, and cute. Aren't I cute? Tell me how cute you think I am. It's He's that kind of person, and there's just something that gets me about him. I find him very annoying. So I'm, I'm not, this does not give me any further interest in a sequel that I didn't have any interest to begin with. So now I'm at negative interest, which is fun, is a fun place to be at. Uh, <laughs> I mean, anytime Paul Rudd joins a movie, I just feel like Paul Rudd's in every movie at this point. He is. Like, yeah. anytime he, he shows up in a movie, I'm just like, oh, so you needed, like, a milk toast, vaguely charming dude who never ages. Um, so, I mean, much like David Tennant, who I feel is our, our uh, mascot for this episode, um, I feel like Paul Rudd doesn't age. Like, I feel like he might have sold his soul 
to the devil uh, because he's looked the same way he did in 1995. Um, but other than that, I just, I never get excited when he's in a movie. I'm just like, oh yeah, Paul Rudd. I would expect Paul Rudd to be in every movie. I mean, he's not in every movie. Like, give me a movie. I, I'll probably think Paul Rudd was in it. Um, so there's, that. that's a thing that exists. Other than that, the Ghostbusters... Reitman thing, um, I don't care about it. Yeah, I have my Ghostbusters, came out in 2016. Lauren champions it regularly, as does Karen. Hell yeah. And I'm good with that one. Well, one of the things that a couple of people said and that pissed me off about it was that, so, you know, so we've got a casting announcement. That's basically what this is. And you do not hear, like, anyone screeching, but the original. But what about, we can't have Paul Rudd in it because he's not Bill Murray. You know, we didn't have any of that shit. And so, of course, looking at it, just like, so maybe the issue for you guys with the 2016 one was not actually about the original. Maybe it was about something else. I cannot possibly imagine what that was. Um... And of course, as usual, like every time, every time that a woman mentions the 2016 Ghostbusters on Twitter, you immediately get guys coming out to explain how it's not that they don't like women. It's just that they didn't like that movie. Right. And guys, fine, you know, you're allowed to not like the movie, but you're lying. They can never come up with an actual reason why they didn't like it. They just say, I just, I didn't like it. Oh, okay. Why? <laughs> I just didn't. I don't have to explain myself. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I mean, so much of the backlash, as, as we've pointed out numerous times, so much of the backlash was directed at the actresses. It was directed at the fact that these were women. Leslie Jones got chased off Twitter because yeah. of all the really, really awful racist stuff that was being sent her way for that movie. That's what's so shocking about it is that it, and, and that, that, by the way, was before the movie came out. Yeah. Like, there was backlash against it long, before there was even a trailer, there were people that were furious about that film. And that's, that's, so that's what always places a question mark whenever whenever particular particularly men come out and say like well i just didn't like it it's like there's nothing wrong with just not liking a film that's fine the violence with which a large section of fans responded to it long before they'd even seen it is indicative of of much more than just not liking it you know there are plenty of films that i don't like but i do not go and try to harass the uh actors or the director off of twitter for it like, and that's the difference. So yeah, there's a new Ghostbusters. Meh. Quit reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I usually remind people that I don't care because I saw the first Ghostbusters really late in life and I was just kind of like, uh-huh, what, what's, why is this such a thing? Like, why do you love it? It's not that good. And I, a guy was the guy, was the person who told me to watch it and I watched it. And he looked at me like I just kicked him in the balls. Like, he's like, but what, what do you mean? It's the, it's the funniest movie ever made. Mm, is it? Is it? Ever I didn't made? laugh once. And he's like, well, obviously, you know, you, just, you don't get humor. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's if cool. If you didn't like it, it's because you don't understand. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> um. I mean, I think it's funny and I enjoy it, but 
I also don't think there's anything wrong with you if you didn't. Right. I was like, the marshmallow guy was cool. That was fun to see. <laughs> I, I just thought there'd be more ghost busting or something. I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I was less than impressed, um, and that person and I are no longer friends, not because of Ghostbusters, but because of, like, other things, but, but, yeah, so I should have known. So, moving on, uh, we got some questions, we got a question, when did we get this question? Because I'm just looking <laughs> at this agenda, and I'm just like, wait, what? Um... We, we got this question, I think, last week when we had a bit of a snafu and everything. But I, I'm not certain why it came up or how, but it did. And we're asking it. Okay, okay. So um, this question came from at JK Hart. Because, of course, James. it did. Thanks, James. <laughs> it says, uh, who would win in a fight between Jeremy Irons and Oscar Isaac? Those are the two that you're going <laughs> to throw out? Um, the answer's pretty obvious. The answer is obvious. And I feel like people are going to be like, really? Um, what, what? I mean, it's it's Jeremy Irons, right? I mean. Yeah. yeah. Have yeah. you seen that man's biceps? Yeah, he's wiry. I'm, I'm going to say I've seen a lot more of him, but. Um, <laughs> well, we all have. <laughs> that's a story for another time. Um, yeah, I mean. I mean, come on. A, height is a bit of a factor there. Um, and, I mean, have we looked at pictures of Oscar Isaac lately? Um, it's just, a, it's an unfair fight is what I'm saying. It is an unfair fight. Um, and, I mean, we all know that, I mean, Jeremy Irons, again, made a compact with the devil. So, he is immortal. He can't be killed by conventional weapons. Um, and, I mean, it's just... I'm I'm sorry, it's true. Um, so, yeah, this is a mean question. <laughs> I well, like I think it's... I'm guessing this was born out of the Tom Cruise versus Justin Bieber thing. Oh, that makes sense. It does, yeah, and that makes I'm sense. guessing there's around 30 years between Oscar Isaac and Jeremy Irons. If I had um, to guess, mate, uh, Oscar Isaac is 40 now. So, yeah, yeah, about that, about that. Jeremy Irons is perpetually 50 in my mind, though, so, you know, <laughs> he doesn't age. Um, but, yeah, the, That's true. that would be a fight that I would watch, but I feel like I would be way too turned on by it. Um, so I, I feel like <laughs> it would be inappropriate. Um, so, yeah. Uh, thank you, James, for that question and making me rethink my entire life choice. Um, so... We're also going to throw out uh, some of our favorite films of the year. A lot of sites have been talking about what are the best movies of 2019 so far. Uh, we're actually going to do a proper top five on the website, so stay tuned for that. But we did want to throw out uh, a couple movies that uh, we saw this year that we would consider some of the best. Um, I don't know what everybody's criteria is. Um, you know, in terms of whether you want to reveal something that's going to be on the five or, or not. Um, I'm just going to let Karen go first. So I I am going to reveal some that will show up on my list. Um, sorry, I have a dog making weird noises next to me. I don't know what she's doing. She's attacking her own tail or something. Because they're, she's very upset about how I answered that Oscar Isaac Jeremy <laughs> Irons fight question. I don't blame her. There you go. Um Anyway, so yeah, a couple of these are going to be on my list, but I'm going to throw out just, it's going to be like five of these movies. 
Um, so I'm going to say more than five. But, um, and I also am trying to be careful because there's a bunch that I've seen at festivals that haven't come out yet. So I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, how's I was that trying to think. Yet? I was trying to think, like, oh, I probably will include some South by stuff. And... Well, there's a few things that I saw that are coming out, like, in the next month. Well, that's right. Or you went so. to Sundance, too. I did, so. yeah. <laughs> like, The Farewell would be on my list. It'll probably be on my list at the end of the year, but it doesn't come out for another couple weeks. So that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, so some of my favorites this year so far, um, Booksmart, Toy Story 4, uh, Rocket Man, Captain Marvel, Knock Down the House, the documentary about the women that were running for, um, congressional seats in 2016, um, Paddleton, which is a Netflix movie, speaking of Netflix, that I actually watched at Sundance. It came out in, I think, March. And it really caught me by surprise. Uh, I really like that. Teen Spirit. Do- uh, Ask Dr. Ruth, which is on Hulu. Uh, Late Night. And let's see. Uh, Wine Country I loved. Um, and... Oh, you know, another one I really enjoyed that kind of came and went and it surprised me that it didn't it wasn't more successful was uh fighting with my family the movie about the wrestler with uh, florence Pugh. i really liked that one too so those are mine what uh karen actually took took some of the ones karen so. took a lot of mine so <laughs> yeah you made me go uh, first so <laughs> um i'm, I'm so, i mean i'm not gonna not say them so good. but so so all, all of the films that karen said uh, so I'll, I'll just call, I'll just toss out a couple more that didn't come up. Um, Rolling Thunder Review, which is the new uh, Scorsese Bob Dylan documentary-ish, somewhat documentary. Uh, there's a big question about how much is true and how much isn't. So most of it is not true, um, but the songs are true. But it, it's probably one of the best Scorsese films I have seen in years. Uh, it's on Netflix. It is a long film, but it is a great film. And I, I just really encourage everybody to go watch it and to take everything that happens with a grain of salt, but also you know, trying to figure out what is real and what isn't and whether or not that even matters. is It's a great comment on music and on cinema and on Dylan's persona. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I loved it. The other one that um, is a uh, also a documentary but a tough film is uh, at the heart of gold the um u.s gymnastics scandal documentary that i saw at tribeca and that i believe has premiered on hbo um it, it's it's a a very difficult film to watch but i think it's very essential in the way that it prizes women's voices and gives them the the chance to tell their story outside of the man that hurt them um is is just it's it's a wonderful film and i think ultimately very uplifting actually uh even though there are definitely parts of it that are difficult to listen to so the those are two that came up and then also like late night and book smart which i think is are going to be on all of our lists are just you know great films and very enjoyable my list has a lot of those um i have no problem with revealing stuff that isn't coming out that hasn't come out yet so i'm gonna do it um, so I would throw out Serenity is gonna be somewhere. I love that movie. I don't care. 
It's terrible, <laughs> but it's so entertaining. Uh, I can't believe I forgot the masterpiece I of 2019. Need to see that. You need to. Oh my gosh! It, you have not seen the best movie of 2019. So till you have seen Matthew McConaughey fish for a tuna named Justice, okay? And I'm not kidding. That is a line of dialogue. Oh, I um, believe you. It's amazing. Um, go watch it. It's great. Um, I would also throw out some stuff that I saw at Sundance, uh, or Sundance, South By, excuse me. Uh, go back to China, which is a really funny comedy um, about an Asian American woman who has to go work for her uh, family at a toy factory in China. It's really, really funny. Um, I know Karen loves it. It's not out yet, but Little Monsters would be on my list somewhere. Um, I love that movie, Booksmart. Remember um, how I had to make you go see Little Monsters? Yes. And you loved it. I'm so happy that you did. <laughs> um, Someone Great, the, the Netflix uh, romantic comedy would be on there. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think. Ma, another movie that's just terrible that um, I love to bits. Um, <laughs> and Rocket Man. Rocket Man is probably going to be somewhat prominent in my five um it's actually shocking to look at all the movies that i've seen this year that had 2019 releases because a lot of them i'm just kind of met on so my five is going to be both ridiculously easy and ridiculously hard because there's a lot of things where i'm just kind of like eh that was okay um there haven't been a whole lot of movies that i've been really effusive in my praise over um so it's been a very weird year for me, movie-wise. Um, but yeah, those are the movies that I would say are worth seeing. I still have to see a lot of other things, stuff that hasn't that I might have missed on DVD. Um, this this list is nowhere near complete. Can I throw out a couple that I've seen already that I, are not out yet, but they're coming out later this year that I really yeah. think people should put on their radar now? Uh, so first of all, I mentioned The Farewell, which will be out July 12th. If it's playing anywhere near you, check it out. It's really, really a special movie. Um, also, Brittany Runs a Marathon, which will be out in, I think, August. It's Jillian Bell. She plays this girl named Brittany. It's based on a true story. She plays this girl named Brittany who... Uh, at age 27 finds out that she's got all these high risks for like hypertension and high blood pressure and stuff just because she's a partier and she's just like wait and she decides she needs to get serious about it it's, she plays the kind of character that we normally see middle-aged white men playing and um but it's it's really funny and really sweet it's a good movie uh and then also <laughs> One that Kristen and I saw at South By that we just kind of randomly picked and weren't weren't sure what to expect. I and almost we watched put this. it. Yeah. And we can't wait for Lauren to see it. And that is a little Irish movie called Extraordinary. It's so funny. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I hope it gets a US release because it's great. It's so good. It's so good. Um, so yeah, those are our best of the year. Please stay tuned for our formal top five on it, which is gonna be at Citizen Dame Pod dot com um i i mean you all know i'm gonna write like seven pages about my love of rocket man um but i don't care because that's why we have a website i can write whatever i want uh, <laughs> i'm Kristen. So i do what i want exactly <laughs> exactly um uh, so moving on to movie reviews um uh, did we want to talk about the farewell because you and i have seen it yeah so bye Wait, you've seen it too? That's right. We've all seen it. I, I wrote yes. the review on our That's website. Right. Yes, That's you right. did. I forgot. Yes. 
Yes, so, let's yeah. So, uh, yeah. Karen, what's the plot? The plot of The Farewell <laughs> is um, basically it's about this family who grandma is dying. She gets a terminal diagnosis. And in China, it's very common not to tell people that they're dying of a terminal disease. because, And it's not required by law to tell them. Because the belief is... Well, there's a couple reasons, but why make them spend their last few months uh, scared of dying and sad that they're going to die? But also, there's a belief that if they don't know, then they might not. If you tell them they have cancer, they die. That's right. the, that's the <laughs> mantra. The yeah. fear of knowing that they have an expiration date will definitely kill them. Right. I do like. I do love that line in in the film. Just like we have a saying in China: when you get cancer, you die. <laughs> Exactly. So the family uh, plans this wedding to get everyone back together from different parts of the world. Uh, They're all going to say goodbye to grandma, but she doesn't know that. And it stars Aquafina and some really great people, including Tai Ma and Diana Lin. Do you want me to start by talking about it? Sure. Okay. So I, I this was the first film I saw at Sundance this year, and I was seriously like, well, I may as well just go home because I'm not going to see anything I like more than this. It's really a special movie. Lulu Wang, the director, introduced it. And this is a true story from her family. This really happened to her grandmother. Essentially, Aquafina plays a version of her. And it's it's very funny um, because families are funny. It's not a comedy like Crazy Rich Asians or something like that. It's it's dramatic and very serious. It deals with a lot of has a lot of of really good conversations about culture and about the way that you know Eastern philosophies versus Western philosophies. And what I love is that it doesn't attempt to say, well, this way of thinking is better or that way of thinking is better. It doesn't answer any of that. It just expresses that there's just a lot of different ways to live and a lot of different ways to look at the world. And I think I think this film is so special because even though it's about a very specific Asian family, Chinese family, it's something that deals with themes uh, in ways that anybody watching can relate to it and see their own family in it. Like, I saw elements of my relationship with my own grandmother in that movie, too, and with my parents and myself. And I think that it's just a really beautiful, beautiful film. I love that they filmed it in Lulu Wong's hometown. Uh, and <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, well, I don't want to say... Um, like there's just a lot of funny stories about the production and like other people that she knew growing up showing up and like watching them work and stuff and uh, I just I think this is something that's really just I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people and I'm really excited for Aquafina to do something that's very different from what we've seen her in so far between Neighbors 2 and, like I mentioned, Crazy Rich Asians and Ocean's 8, where she's had this very specific persona that she's been cultivating for a long time. And to see her just let all that go and take on someone who is, you know, just a a normal person who is dealing with a lot of emotions and is feeling kind of lost in her life. And it's just... it's. 
Yeah, it's a really good performance from her. The writing of this is beautiful. The cinematography I loved, so I I think this is is great. I mean, I I I think I I wrote a lot of this in the review. I I agree with everything that Karen said, and it was interesting that you mentioned you know that the universality of the story. That I I like the fact that it is very universal and is also very specific. It's very much about this family and about uh, particularly Billy's experience as being both Chinese and Western and you know her entire family keeps on you know saying to her oh, oh you're not Chinese enough you know you don't know how to conceal your emotions you don't know how to do this you don't know how to do that you know she um, there's a lot made of the fact that of the way that she speaks Chinese and she doesn't always know some of the words even though she was raised in a Chinese speaking household so I like the use of the overlapping of culture and of language and then also of just family dynamic because obviously it's not meant to represent it. The film doesn't look at it and go like, this is all Chinese families everywhere. It's notes this very specific Chinese family um, and how they interact with each other and how they also deal with uh, a global world because a lot of, a lot of the people that are coming together have not seen each other in years because they live on opposite ends of the, of the world. Um, it, and and yeah, I, there were definitely moments that reminded me of my grandmother, that combination of, um, specifically one of my grandmothers actually, but that combination of criticism and love that you're just like, oh, you're so pretty, why aren't you married? You know, that kind of thing. And it's just like, oh, he's a doctor and he speaks English. Like the, Those little moments of just like things that grandmothers do. And I, I liked that. And I liked the fact that it does kind of remind you that there is this universality to, to family relationships, um, regardless of where you come from. Uh, and there, there were also, I, I also liked that it wasn't a pure comedy, that there was a lot, there was a lot of humor and there was a lot of sort of um, bittersweetness to it. Uh, but there was also, there were some serious conversations that are had in the, the complexity of a situation where everybody is grieving, everyone is grief struck and they're, they're dealing with it in their own ways. But the one person who is sort of the cause of all of it has no idea what's, what is happening or if she does, she doesn't show it. And, and it's, and that kind of complex family dynamic where these people are grieving, but also trying to, hide their grief but also you know knowing that she's not dead she's sitting right there you know they're talking to her they're interacting with her but it's it's all of that complexity of it um that i think the film just does really well without necessarily giving a solution to it it's it's simply human existence and i i liked that about it so yeah i i thought it was a great film i saw it a couple days ago and i love Lulu Wong's last film that she made a couple years ago. I don't think it's her last film, a film she had made a couple years ago called Posthumous, and I've, I've talked about how much I love that movie. And so I had maybe too high expectations for this movie because um, I thought this was fine. I didn't love it. Um, I, it's a very quiet, contemplative film, and I feel like you really need to be in the right headspace for that. Maybe, maybe I wasn't that day. I don't know. Um, I did love the interactions between Aquafina and Diana Lynn. Um, and there's just enough story about, 
you know, the history of these people and, and Aquafina's character's background. Um, I just felt that the whole thing felt very slight. Like, I, I cared about the characters in the moment, but there was just no no weight for me. There was no resonance. Um, it's a very small and personal story, and that's definitely something that we need in the film landscape. But at the end of the day, I just didn't have a big connection to it. And I'm, I'm not really sure why. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't dislike it by any means, but I also was just like, it's, it's a movie. Um, it's a movie that I saw and I don't really have, I'm completely neutral on it. I have no big thoughts on it either way. And it's been a long time since a movie's left me like that, where I'm like, usually I can at least be like, okay, I like that. Or I didn't like that. Um, here I'm just like, yeah, I've, it, I've seen it. <laughs> it's very weird. Well, I have to say, I, I had a, not quite that reaction, but I had a similar reaction when I initially saw it. And then the more that I sat with it and thought about it and, and wrote the review on it, the more I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting and complicated. I think it's one of those films that maybe you have to, you have to think about for a little yeah. while and, and spend time with and consider like, what does it do? And I, I did by the end, by the time I finished writing the review, I felt much more connected to the film and felt like that its artistry, its artistry is very muted. Like it's not, it isn't a, over, it isn't an extreme film. It's not about extreme emotions, but it is, it's just all under the surface. And I think that that's, that's one of its strengths, but it is something that you, it can make you feel a little distanced from it, that you're not. You know, it just is, and I—I I don't know. Maybe, and that, that was just my experience, but I, I do understand where you're coming from. It's—it's it's definitely what I—I'm gonna re hopefully revisit once it comes out, and then decide towards the end of the year how I feel about it. But it de definitely didn't leave me with the feelings that I had after watching Posthumous, where I was like, I love that movie. I think it's—it's it's so great, um, and I don't really know why. I can't really articulate the difference there, the distinction yet. Um, so moving on to another movie that I believe two of us saw. We, Karen, you and I both saw Toy Story 4. I'm gonna let Karen go first with this. This is, so Toy Story 4 is the, fi uh, the supposedly final entry, we don't know, in the Toy Story saga, they said that about the last one, um, where Woody has to reunite his owner, Bonnie, with her new favorite toy, Forky, voiced by Tony Hale. And at the same time, he reconnects with old friend Bo Peep, voiced by Annie Potts. And another adventure is had by the toys. Um, Karen, what did you think of Toy Story 4? I freaking loved it. I thought it was so funny. I think it's one of the funniest... I think it's the funniest of the Toy Story movies. Uh, I really like the way that they um, caught you up with old characters and introduced new ones. I think they did a, a really good job with both um one thing that that i thought was really brilliant is from the beginning they set up that um you know things for for woody have taken a turn and and it's it's a movie about questioning your place in the world as you're getting older which is a weird message for a kids movie but these have never just been for kids these are for all audiences and there's a lot of stuff in these movies for grown-ups that i appreciate um, I 
I really like the voice cast. I think Christina Hendricks does a great job as this creepy doll. Um, it was really funny the other day. Um, I saw Annabelle, which we'll talk about in a minute. And afterwards I tweeted, I like the evil doll movie better than the evil doll movie, but not as much as the evil doll movie. Cause there's three <laughs> that are in theaters right now. One of which is toy story Four, And, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's funny that it's just, tis the season, I guess for evil doll movies. But, um, I think this movie is just hilarious. It has a lot of heart. I sobbed through the last 10 minutes again, very much like I did with toy story three. And, and I think that, with Toy Story 3, and I mean, I was definitely in the camp of why are they doing Toy Story 4? Toy Story 3 was such a perfect ending. And then I watched it, and it's like, no, this movie doesn't need to do, to exist. But by that token, most what movie does need to exist, right? But uh, with Toy Story 4, I think that they're breaking that mold that we've kind of been conditioned into since Star Wars, probably, that, you know movies don't have to come in threes they can come in fours or fives or sixes and it's it's fine and the the original story was done but there was more to tell because these toys continue to go on and and i don't think this is the end i think disney plus is coming and i think we're gonna see some adventures of these of at least some of these toys and i'm totally fine with that but this one I think is is really brilliant and it makes sense because this is Pixar's flagship. I mean, they started their entire brand with with Toy Story in 1995 and you know, some of their other movies that have had sequels, it's been okay. They haven't put as much heart and soul as they did into the first one with the exception of The Incredibles 2, which I think is better than the first one. But uh but Toy Story, each sequel I have doubted, and each sequel has turned out to just surpass every expectation I could possibly have had, and I think it's because this is the one that they care about the most deeply, and it shows. So, I saw Toy Story 4. And you and hate Joy. I don't hate Joy. I liked this movie. <laughs> I liked this movie, but it also did not need to be made. Um, I enjoyed this. I laughed a lot. Um, I had issues with the Gabby Gabby plotline, but Christina Hendricks and Gabby Gabby were, are my favorite character out of the whole thing. Um, and Ducky and Bunny are hilarious. The problem is, is that Ducky and Bunny have no business being in this movie. Um, and that's kind of the problem I had is I could see the seams of every decision that was made with this film. Um, for me, the, the, Toy Story movies, the first three, which are classics in my mind, have always been about the group, the group of toys. And this movie is, it splinters that, much like the shorts do. Um, this is That's what this movie felt like. Three shorts stitched together to make one movie. It's a fun movie, but it's not, for me, if I ranked them, this might be slightly above Toy Story 1 or beneath Toy Story 1. It's definitely not the best Toy Story movie, in my opinion, at least. Um, I, I liked everything about it. You know, I had fun with Duke Kaboom. I enjoyed, uh, you know, Arctic Combat Carl, who can't get a high five. I thought Forky was fun. Forky, though, is, is being promoted as the star of this movie, and yet 
Gabby Gabby has got no merchandise, and I'd say she's more of a factor in the plot than Forky is. Um, but at the end of the day, I just, I don't feel like this movie does anything more than, like you said, usher in a new set of stories, you know, based on how this movie ends. I think it's expensive to get all these people together to record um, for three years. Uh, and they're not going to be able to do that forever. And so this certainly sets up a new trajectory. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like those first three Toy Story movies did. And maybe that's because, the you know, for me at least, when Toy Story 3 came out, you know, I was in the middle of college and it was kind of this closing of an era. Maybe because I'm at a different point in my life, I didn't have those feelings. Um, I don't know. I just felt like, yeah, at the end of the day, I like this, but I still don't feel that they needed to do a fourth one for any other reason than money. Um, but it's still an enjoyable movie. I still would say go see it. I still would say you're going to have a lot of fun with it. But depending on how closely you love the original three, you're going to know, I, I feel like you'll notice like, yeah, yeah, it's got some major flaws. It's got some major issues. It doesn't feel as grandiose as those first three did. Are you trying to say that you like the first three better than I do? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> I don't know if I like the first three better than you do. I love I love two and three. Like, two and three are, are my favorites of, of, of all of them. Um, I'd say, you know, three is like the best movie of the last ten years. <laughs> It's definitely up there. I mean, I love all of these movies. What I think is great is that they all, even though the story, like the very basic plot is very similar every time, they find ways to make it different. And they find ways to, uh, to tell a new story each time with new characters. And I think it's brilliant. I really do. And I think it's easy to say that Toy Story 4 exists to make money, but I think that they wouldn't have put so much thought and care into it if that was their only goal. They really, truly care about these characters. And they've made the audience care about these characters because, I mean, look at how much everyone sobbed at the end of Toy Story 3 when they thought, oh, wow, this is an ending. Like, who would have seen that coming? Not that you actually think it's going to happen, but you don't see any way out for them. So... I just, I, I think that this is obviously not as um, sad, but I think that for people who really love these characters, I think some of us, you know, you just feel so connected to it that, like, I don't know, I want more. I, I love it. I will keep, as, if they keep making these, if they put a bunch of stuff on on Disney Plus, I will watch it all because I just it's weird. I love these toys, but I I do and I I think that they're I think this franchise is really something special. Conversely, I will say that I would watch further adventures, but at the same time I I know that I'll I'll always feel like they're unnecessary. <laughs> well, again, what movie is necessary? No, but I, I feel like I'm, I approach it from a bit more of a cynical angle. Like, I know Pixar is in the business to make money. And Every so, business is there to Right, make right. But I feel like you can tell that. Like, I feel like, and I've said this with Disney, too. Like, I feel like the last couple of Disney movies, I can be like, yeah, this is nothing but a cash grab. Like, that's all, that's the only reason it exists. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Moving on to a movie I believe Karen and I feel equally about, though. Mids Midsommar. And it is pronounced Midsommar. We were told at the press day, 
That's how it's pronounced. Do not call it Midsummer. Uh, it's definitely Midsummer. <laughs> I feel like I would I would love it if Ari Aster just like, and I wouldn't put it past him if he like made it a stipulation that if you want to buy a ticket, you have to pronounce it the right way at the theater. Like it's the code word. If you don't pronounce it, if you pronounce it Midsummer, they're like, we're sorry, we can't sell you a ticket. You you, you have to pronounce it correctly. Um. So yeah, Midsummer uh, is how it's supposed to be pronounced. Um, yeah, and I'm not doing that. And I'm Swedish. <laughs> um, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do on this podcast, Karen. So <laughs> damn right. Uh, but it's uh, <laughs> written written directed by Ari Aster, who did Hereditary. It comes out June third. Uh, it tells the story of a couple who are in a toxic codependent relationship, but neither one of them has the balls to break up with the other. Um, so they decide to go after a traumatic event, decide to go on this vacation with a friend to a midsummer festival in Sweden um, as part of like a group. Uh, it's a guy's trip that he, the said boy just invites the girl on so that she doesn't feel bad. Um, and a lot of bad shit happens because you're watching an Ari Aster movie. Um, and I find it hilarious. We talked about Hereditary last episode, and I had talked about how I connected to that film and, and what I found about that movie to be scary. And I had the complete opposite reaction. <laughs> I felt like watching this movie, I was like, oh, so this is what Lauren's talking about. Okay, <laughs> I get it now. Um, oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, the, the problem that I had, at least, with, um, I'll call it Midsommar, just to be deferential, um, the problem I had with it is that all of all the memes that have already been generated about it, that it feels like an A24 movie, that it looks like Coachella gone bad, you know, like, those are true. Um, I was very interested with, this movie feels like two movies that Ari Aster started writing one, and then had a really shitty breakup and then decided I'm going to write a different movie, but I also don't want to jump those pages. So I'm just going to include them in here. So the first like 20 or so minutes of this movie is very much like hereditary for me, where it's preying on that anxiety, that fear that you have as, as a person who cares too much for others that in your life. And so if something happens and you get this, this slight inkling that something's wrong, that you, you know, the way she, Florence Pugh spends this entire movie working herself up into a panic attack, you know, like that feels real. Like that's, I understood that. I got that. Um, and then something happens in the first 20 minutes and then the plot of the movie restarts and, and it becomes what the movie is being advertised as. And I just kept wondering throughout the entire two hours and 20 minutes of this movie, why we needed that traumatic incident in order to care um, because I feel like you would have cared about Florence Pugh's character without it. Um, at the same time, I was really interested in the, the relationship between her and, and Jack Rayner, um, because it's obviously that relationship that you've always seen, you know, you see from couples that she feels she, you know, he feels she's too needy. She feels he doesn't support her, but neither one of them wants the, the change of breaking up with each other. So they just keep dragging each other along. Um, 
because, you know, both of them are flawed in equal ways. Although I would say Jack Rayner's character, much like all his characters, which I talked to him about, um, are, are kind of assholes in their own way. Um, but once they get to the actual midsummer stuff, um, it feels like every movie you've ever seen about dumb Americans that go to another country. Um, so like the minute they're all like in a field drinking, eating shrooms, I'm like, oh, okay, I've seen this movie. I own this movie. I know what happens here. Um, and so Ari Aster just decides, well, okay, I'm just going to throw in horrific images. I'm going to show you some of the most fucked up, disgusting stuff you've ever seen. And I didn't feel we saw that with Hereditary. A lot of disturbing stuff happens, but I felt like Ari Aster in this movie just was like sad that Rotten.com closed down. And so he felt that he needed to reconfigure that. So like there are some things in this movie that are not just disturbing. It goes beyond that. It goes into disgusting and upsetting. Um, I, you know, I, I almost put it in my review, but I feel like trigger warnings need to be included before this movie because there is some stuff that happens in here that is just almost like watching... Remember in the early 2000s when, like, Hostel came out and everybody was, every director was trying to one-up themselves with, like, how much disgusting, you know, what did they call it? Not, like, extreme horror. Um, uh, torture porn? Torture porn, thank you. I was trying to remember the term. It, that's kind of what it feels like. That's kind, But it's, like, beautifully filmed. So I think that makes it better. Um, and the last 20 minutes felt like I was watching a Terrence Malick movie with a perfume ad in an A24 film. Um, and at the end of it, I was just like, okay, I didn't leave with the emotional dread, the resonance, or really the interest that I had with Hereditary. Like, all the feelings I had about that movie, as disagreeable as, as you know, Lauren and Karen felt about it, like, I could articulate why I liked it. I didn't care for this movie, and at the same time, I was like, but all of the stuff from Hereditary was supposed to be there. Like, anything I could say about Hereditary, I should have been able to say about this, because it's there. I just didn't like it. I didn't... I feel like Ari Aster at this point was like, you know, Hereditary explained too much? Well then, fuck you, I'm gonna not explain anything. And just lay it all out here, and you, you can infuse meaning into it. Well, I need some meaning. I need to know something. And I felt like I didn't get anything. Um, and it's way too goddamn long for me to not leave knowing something um but it's got penis in it which again 2019 you're the dick um so there's that so uh karen what did you think of it am i completely like off base or should i have been angrier <laughs> uh i think you should have been angrier um, oh, okay. this movie is really terrible it's it's really bad um so some of the problems that I had with Hereditary are just amped up in this movie. Uh, so I, I did I did like what you were saying, Kristen, about how like now you kind of you get what we were talking about in our problems with Hereditary because it's on full display here in Midsummer. And you know what? Fuck it. Ari Aster doesn't respect his audience with this movie. I'm not respecting him and how he wants the title pronounced. Um, the thing is, so first of all, this movie needs trigger warnings 100%. And I think, and I'm just going to say, there are graphic depictions of suicide in this movie. And I think people need to know about that going in. And I think anytime a movie depicts suicide and actually shows it, 
it deserves an MPAA warning just with like anything else, violence, sex, brief nudity, whatever. I think the MPAA needs to add that because people deserve to understand that going in. Uh, I know a lot of people that are triggered by that and it's, you know, it's not giving away a part of the plot to tell you that because I'm not saying who or when or how, but, uh, you just, some people are not going to want to see it because of that. Um, one of the big problems that I have with this is apparently, because I've read an article about it, but apparently Ari Aster went and researched a lot of like pagan traditions and stuff, which great, good for him. But I don't feel like he actually learned what anything is about or what it does or why people do traditionally do the things that they do. I feel like all he did with this movie is introduce like, weird ways of of like moving your glass when you're toasting someone i feel like he got really wrapped up in the history of this fictional location and see i didn't didn't bother to write about anything no see i feel like he didn't get wrapped up in the history he got wrapped up in the specific process of doing things but didn't assign any meaning to it And that's the problem that I had. I feel like everything in this, maybe there is meaning behind it, but he does not communicate that there is. And he had many opportunities to, because they, this group, they're, they go, they have a Swedish friend who's on like a, an exchange. So he's studying in the States. And so he invites them back to his village. And so he's kind of their conduit into this world. And there are some things where he's, sort of explaining what's going on but not really there are moments where the story requires like here's my problem with narrative i feel the exact opposite you do that he he thinks everything has meaning but you're like i don't see the meat like he's like this backpack has meaning of course it has meaning um and you're just like wait but what is it's a backpack it's a rock i don't understand um and and the friend you know there's a moment you talk about the this the graphic depictions of suicide there is a moment where characters are freaking out and the the elders are being like oh well didn't so and so explain it to you well no actually you don't want them to explain it to them because as we've seen in any movie where a person wants to leave a location they're not meant to leave it has to turn into murder at some point so i was like that's just bad screenwriting because why would you have a character say well didn't he tell you well no in order for us to get to the murdering like you have to want to leave. Why would you want to leave if somebody is like saying, like, I would have almost respected the script more had had the friend told them, like, this is what's going to happen. This is what you're going to see. And then they were still like freaked out about it and then wanted to leave. And then we got to the murder. Like, it was just like bad storytelling. The problem is that I don't think that there were answers to any of that. I think that you're supposed to think that there are, but I don't think Ari Aster actually bothered. And as far as graphic depictions of a lot of things, we see, you know, I mean, if a kid is drawing disturbing pictures, we're going to have them evaluated by a psychologist. When a director does it, we just call it art and say, oh, yeah, let's talk about this. You know, like I have some serious concerns about the stuff that Ari Aster puts on screen because I think we need to be talking about it. Some of the stuff is, as you mentioned, it's disgusting. It's it's past the point of disturbing, and it's really it's really disgusting, and it's very concerning. And if Ari Aster had this normal childhood, well, okay, I have some questions. 
<laughs> if this isn't stemming from stuff that has, you know, come up somewhere else in his life, then I don't know what's going on with him. The story itself is not developed well at all. Uh, that, as Krista mentioned, that first 20 minutes is completely unnecessary to the story. There are so many other ways they could have gone to Sweden without what happens in the beginning of the movie. And to show it again, not necessary. I think that these characters are caricatures. I don't think that there's much interesting about them. I think Florence Pugh could have been interesting, but again, Ari Aster just doesn't know he's just he's just not developing his people very well and in the end he gives us all this stuff to look at but never gives us anything to do with it he never like I agree you don't have to answer all the questions but you at least have to give us something to draw our own conclusions and he doesn't do that he does this is not a complete story this is just a snapshot and it's a very frustrating experience. I don't even think it's that pretty of a movie. I think there are some things that are. But overall, I think it's just kind of eh. Um, I kept thinking as I was watching, like everyone's talking about, oh, it's so beautiful here. And I kept going like, I mean, it's fine. It's green. But then I found out they didn't even film it in Sweden. And I was just like, well, okay. <laughs> like, this is weird. Um I just, yeah, overall, this is a really disappointing experience, even more than Hereditary was. And in fact, it actually made me appreciate Hereditary a little bit more. Uh, I still don't like Hereditary, but I do think that it's not as bad as this. Uh, anybody who's saying this movie is super unique needs to, you know, watch movies because clearly you've never seen The Wicker Man. Uh, you've never seen, uh, I'm drawing some blanks, but like there's even there's even elements of it where I was like, this feels just like a scene out of get out, you know? And so it, this, yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand why people are just jumping on this. Ari Aster is the best horror filmmaker ever. Cause I don't see it. I don't even think he's that interesting of a filmmaker. I don't really care about anything he does in the future because two movies so far. And I have been very unimpressed by both. And, uh, yeah, I don't recommend this to anybody. I'm just going to go right out and watch it. And... <laughs> so excited. I actually <laughs> am very curious to hear your, uh, your thoughts on this, even though I pretty much know what you would say. But I also don't want to subject you to watching it. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably going to see it at some point. We'll see. You guys are not, not raising my expectations for it, though. So that's going to close out this episode of Citizen Dame. Uh, we got anything else we got to promote before we close it out? Uh, as always, what's in the bag contest? Guess what's in the bag. Win a prize. Uh, and you can get in touch with us uh, to send your guesses. Send us a tweet. All of that at Citizen Dame Pod. We're also on Instagram at that same handle. If you are old school and you're on Facebook, I say that like Facebook is old school, but that is technology now. It's facebook.com slash citizen dame. Uh, we also have our email, which is citizendamepod at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, suggestions. Our favorite films of 2019 so far will be on our website, citizendamepod.com, which you can also find 
all sorts of other written content. Lauren does Dame Struck as well as reviews. I do some reviews as well. Uh, if you want to support us with your money, you can do that a couple of different ways. We have merchandise over at Zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame. You can also get access to pins and a bunch of bonus content at Patreon.com slash Citizen Dame. Or if you want to give us a one-time payment, we have a Ko-Fi account. That's co-fi.com slash citizen dame. And of course, all of us are on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at journeys underscore film. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. And Lauren Humphreys Brooks. I am at LH Business. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> oh, hi, Giggle. Whoa, you didn't tell me he was a cop. Howdy, Sheriff. Officer Giggle McDimples. I run Pet Patrol for Minneapolis. Yeah, search and rescue. Ants, caterpillars, miniature poodles, spiders. Carl! Where are you headed? Combat Carl just heard there's a birthday party at the playground on Main Street. Rumor has it they got two piñatas. That could be 20 to 30 kids. Nice. Oh, yeah. Combat Carl's getting played with. <laughs> <laughs>